This morning we are starting into a new teaching series here at Covenant entitled Revive. In the course of this series, we are going to be working our way through the summer months, through the middle of August, uh, through the book of Hebrews. And I want to take a second to talk about why. Why of all the different things we can talk about, why of all the different books of the Bible, why the book of Hebrews? And the reason for it is that the book of Hebrews was written for times like these and was written for people like us. The book of Hebrews was written for times like these. And it was written for people like us. The book of Hebrews is addressing communities who have maybe been through difficulty, maybe been through struggle, maybe been through doubt. The book of Hebrews is addressed specifically to people and to communities who may not be at the high point of their entire spiritual existence. People maybe whose faith was once very alive and very vibrant, and yet now it feels more dormant. This has happened for many of us, and I I don't want to say all of us, because I don't want to make blanket statements, but I feel fairly confident that for a lot of us, the last 15 months have not been the spiritual high point of our entire lives. Many of our habits... Many of the things that we do and the practices of solitude and community and service like we talk about at this church have been kind of interrupted in all different kinds of ways. I know that there are many of us who are trying to figure out what to do and what that means. Uh, Again, I don't have a scientific evidence of this, but in all of my years here, I would say that the article that has been sent to me forwarded me the most in my seven plus years here came out a few weeks ago in the New York Times talking about the feeling, the kind of blah feeling that many of us have right now, even as we are reemerging from the pandemic. And the author talked about that the clinical word for that is that we are languishing. It's just kind of feeling blah. I had more people send it to me than any other article or, 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 or op-ed piece that I can think of in my time here at Covenant going this, this is what it's like. This is what I feel right now. This is what I'm noticing in people around me. If you look back on the last 15 months, my bet is there are some moments of very real and genuine struggle that you can point to. I know when I feel like I was languishing maybe more than any other time. It was right after about a year into the pandemic when we here in Central Texas experienced a winter storm. Our house was without power for eight days, hovering at a balmy 34, (laughs) trying to stay warm, wondering how many pipes had burst throughout our house, and we were without water for five days. Now, when I'm standing here today, eight days doesn't sound all that long. In fact, it's like, well, that could be kind of fun. It wasn't. It It was not fun. And... And I remember saying to my wife afterwards and like the weeks afterwards, it's like, I have not felt this since like my dad died, where I just felt like not motivated, where I just felt blah, where there was language. We've been through trauma and not just from the pandemic, but if you think of events in this nation, you think of events in this world, events in our own lives, we have been through a lot. The book of Hebrews was written for times such as this written to people like us. It's written to revive us. It's written 
to remind us of the uniqueness of our faith. It's written to remind us of the passion and joy and love and purpose that come from the life of faith. It's meant to remind us of the centrality of Christ in our lives and the joy of building our lives as followers of Jesus. And everything in our lives flows from that point. It's meant to blow the the winds of the Holy Spirit into our midst. It's written for times like this. It's written for people like us. This is an important summer in our lives. Because as we look more towards the fall of school and of future plans and and everything else, uh, we know that things are going to start moving in new directions. And so what does it mean for us to spend the next couple of months so that when that hits, when on-ramps of opportunity, of growth, uh, of excitement and and future plans hit, we're kind of going, I'm ready now. I'm ready to see what God has. That's what I'm hoping for in this. That by the end of this series, it's not just going to be like, oh, well, that was nice. But it's like, I feel alive in the Lord. I feel feel the joy of that. I feel the hope of that. I feel the passion of that. I'm ready for what is to come. For God to revive us and blow on the embers of our faith, maybe that have grown quite cold, so that they come to life again. Now, before we read the scripture passage today, there are a couple of things about the book of Hebrews that are unique about it that I just want us to know. Uh, the first thing that's kind of that's unique about the book of Hebrews as we begin is we have no idea who the author is. It's one of the few letters in the New Testament. There's no claim of authorship. Now, early English translations claim that it was one of Paul's letters. There's no evidence for that in the letter. And in fact, what we know about Paul is Paul, of the many wondrous traits he had, being subtle wasn't one of them, Right? Reading Paul is like a two-by-four between the eyes on all different kinds of things, including in the letters he wrote, the ones that he authored. You are really clear in the first or second verse. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the Lord to spread. Like, I mean, he is like, I want you to know I have written this. It's nowhere in the, in, in the letter. No clue of who wrote it. The reason that early English translators often said that it was one of Paul's letters is in the last chapter, in chapter 13, there's this one um, uh, mention that the author is a friend of Timothy, a close friend of Timothy. And we know that Paul knew Timothy. First and second Timothy in the Bible were written by Paul to Timothy. And so what people did is like, oh, well, it must have been Paul. Like Timothy had no other friends in the entire world. That's like when we travel and people are like, oh, you're from Austin? Do you know Anna Smith? You're like, no, there's like a million people here. Oh, she lives in like Round Rock. That's like a whole different place. It's not even the same thing, right? Like it's, 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 it's a weird way of attributing authorship, right? Likely Paul didn't write this. The style of writing, the theology of it is totally different from his other letters. And in the end, it's not actually really important who wrote it. I think something that's really cool about this letter, and I said this, it's a deeply theological term, cool. One of the cool things about this letter is that the author's not interested in you remembering who who she or he is. It's not important to them. They're not sitting there going like, hey, I need you to know that I wrote this letter. They are writing something that God is speaking through them. And I think it's a really wonderful thing where they're going, my name's not important. It's just unique about this letter. The other thing, besides the fact we don't know who the author is that's unique about this letter in the New Testament, is that it's a letter that is not addressed to a specific person or community. And that's important as well. 
You think about letters in the New Testament, the book of Philemon, Paul was writing to Philemon. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and we are very clear. It is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, who is writing this letter from the first verses. It's not written to a specific person. And also, like the books of Galatians or Ephesians are written to churches Paul founded in Ephesus or in Galatia, and they're answering specific questions in that community. That doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, but when we read Ephesians, we're just aware of, like, what are the questions Paul's answering, and it's good to be, uh, you know, uh, well-read on that. What's interesting about this letter is it's not written to a specific church. The term Hebrews comes from the fact that we believe that the author was writing primarily in mind to Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. And so throughout the letter and trying to revive us, there's a lot of stories and a lot of imagery that goes back, including what we're going to read today, to the Old Testament. The unique thing about Hebrews is when you think, are we reading the Old Testament or the New Testament? It's kind of both, right? It's in the New Testament, but there is a lot of learning of the Old Testament. And it's understanding the uniqueness of Jesus from the perspective of the Hebrew Scriptures. But the author explicitly is not writing it to a specific community He's writing it or she is writing it to communities that are in need of being revived. Maybe who feel like they're languishing. The author's writing it for times like this. Writing it to people like us. And I'm really excited to see what God's going to do as we move through this book together. Okay? So let's jump into it. Uh, the, the scripture passage that we're going to look at is printed in your, your bulletin. I invite you just to read along, meditate on these words, and, and keep this, your bulletin out in front of you because we're going to refer to this several times. This is what, how the letter begins. This is verse 1, chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he has made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask for you to blow your reviving spirit into us and through us and around us, we pray. And we lift this prayer up in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, again, we see in these opening verses not a claim of authorship, but the, the author jumps straight into uh, what they have to say jumps right into the meat. And whenever you study a book of the Bible, and we've said this before, one of the important things as we go through these summer months is to look for threads that run throughout. Like if you write a letter to somebody, there's usually certain things you're trying to express, right? And so you will kind of point to these threads and these themes over and over again. And it's good not to just like learn a verse or learn a, a passage or, or something else, but to look for these threads that unite a book together. And there are at least three threads here in this passage. Now, we're only going to talk about one uh, today, but I want to point out all three because they are essential threads that you are going to see over and over and over again in this letter. And I just want us kind of like starting to percolate on them. 
okay, and seeing them because they're connected. The first one we're going to bring up here uh, on the screen. The first one is that Christ as a reflection of God. You see that in verse 3 in what's there. He says that to understand God, that Christ is a reflection of God. Now, why is this important for a revival? Why is this a thread that the author is going to point out again and again and again? What's well, because being revived by God is, is, um, is not about our action. It's about getting closer to the one who gave us life in the first place. In the scriptures, it says that God breathes life into Adam and Eve. It's God's breath that does that. And what we got to think about revival is kind of like CPR. It's like God breathing life into us again. New life being breathed into us by God. And so the way we do that is we get close to the author of life. And that can seem mysterious, right? It's like, you got to get close to God. And it's like, well, what is that? What does that mean? So the author's like, hey, let's break. Christ is the reflection of God. To get close to Christ is to get close to the one who's going to revive you. And this is a central theme throughout. To get near to the one who's going to revive you, you get know and understand that Christ is a reflection of that glory. You want to get close to the author of life? You get close to Christ. It's going to see come up over and over and over again. Number two is related to it. We're going to spend a, a couple more seconds on this one. Uh, the excellence of Christ. This is, comes from verse four. It's not a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, reference. This is, this is the words that are used here in verse four. The excellence of Christ. And this is very, very... You like that, didn't you? you got, Michael's one of the ones that got that reference. So uh, that dated me at a certain period. Anyway. The Roman Empire in which the book of Hebrews was written was actually a lot like Austin, Texas today. It's very pluralistic. The way that the Romans conquered was they would go in, and the way they would try to keep control is they would say, there are certain parts of your life you're not going to have to really change. You just have to adapt them a little bit. But essentially, one of the things, your religion, your faith can stay what it was before. You just got to adapt it to worship the emperor in there as well. But outside of that, it's pretty much the same thing, right? And so, and that was a lot of how they kept control was they didn't uproot every part of someone's society. And they conquered a lot of the world. There were a lot of religions, a lot of spiritual movements, a lot of cultures that came together. And then in uh, the Roman Empire, there was a great amount of travel and trade that took place. So there was a lot of cross-pollination of different religions, spiritualities, and, and, and this was very accepted. It was a lot like Austin, Texas today, right? I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. You have your beliefs. I have my beliefs. You don't tell me what to believe. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. There's some pretty good parts of my faith. There's some pretty good parts of your faith. And it just makes us pretty good people. And we all get along. And everyone's happy. What the author of Hebrews wants us to see is, is if that's the attitude we have towards faith, no wonder it's gone dormant in us. If the seeds we sow are like, yeah, you know, there's some good parts to what I think and there's some good parts to what you think and like in the end it just sort of makes us good people and that's the goal, right? Is for us to just become good people. No wonder that's not very compelling to us. No wonder that doesn't excite us very much. And the author of Hebrews is sitting there going, no, in the middle of this world, we have to declare in one voice the uniqueness and the excellence of Christ. Right? When people are going, well, like, what do you believe and what's the doctrine of your religion and this is the doctrine of my religion and how it works, the uniqueness of Christ is that we don't follow a set of doctrine. We follow a person. And there's nothing else like that in the world. It's completely unique. It's a different kind of message than any other message because it's not about comparing the rules and what seems better. Our whole faith is not built upon religious dogma or doctrine. It's built upon a person. And so to say they're all sort of the same things is not true. It's a factually inaccurate statement. Not an, opi an opinion. It's a factually inaccurate statement. 
But the other thing that the author wants to say is that while it's also unique, there is an excellence to it. Now, why is the author saying that in a world like we live in today? Where How is that different than like, oh, you know, I believe some good stuff. You believe some good stuff. It's all okay. You have to understand something. That, that, that in a general statement, every religion, every world philosophy, every spiritual movement works on the same basic principle. That there is a gap between what is and what should be. Every spiritual movement and every religion works on the same principle. There's a gap in what is and what should be. And so we look at ourselves and we're like, well, I know what I'm supposed to be as a dad or as a person or as a husband or as a friend. I know the things I'm supposed to do. It's just sometimes I'm selfish and sometimes I'm petty and sometimes I gossip and sometimes, you know, all these other things happen. There's a gap of what I'm supposed to be and what is. Or we see that in our world, in our society. There's bigotry, there's injustice, there's homelessness, there's poverty, there's all these kind of different things. And it's like, this is what creation's supposed to look like, but this is what we have here now. And the question of every religion, every spiritual movement is, how do you bridge that gap? And what every religion or spiritual movement outside of Christianity has in common is the way you bridge the gap is to do certain things. I... I, I, I pray this way, I wear these clothes, I do these things, I say these things, I follow these doctrine, and as I do it more and more and more, and do the bad stuff less and less and less, and do the good stuff more and more and more over time, that gap gets closer. I become a better person, our world becomes a better place. And Christianity's response is that that is nonsense. It's impossible for us to bridge that gap. The good news of Christianity, what makes it different, and, and indeed in the words of the author of Hebrews, more excellent, is that it's not about what we do to bridge the gap. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross. That God's love is so reckless and so passionate that God has, has, has made that gap go away on the cross. And that we don't do the things that Christians are supposed to do because it's rules of how we measure up to God and become better people. That the things we do as Christians are about living and following in freedom the God who has set us free. I want to be a part of what that God's about in the world. And if you have love for another person in your heart, you will be able to say, and we're not getting into the who's in and who's out game. That's not what we're supposed to do. But what we can do is sit there and say, if you truly love another person, then does the love of God, if God is a loving figure, go, you better match up. I'm, no, I'm testing you every day and every day. Let's see how good you do. And let's see if you can get close enough for long enough to bridge this gap. Let's see if our society can get better enough. Or is the action of love just to sweep in and overtake it? And I think that we need to be able to clear, without doing the who's in and who's out game, which biblically, you and I are not supposed to do. That's God's business. But we are supposed to witness to what is a more excellent way, a more loving, a more passionate way. Okay, I was supposed to spend 60 seconds on that because that's not even the point we're talking about today. <laughs> But it's too good of a point, isn't it? It's too amazing just to be like, oh, you know. Because again, our world is like, oh, you got some good stuff. I got some good stuff. I know people who are different. I know good people who think differently too. It's not about that. It's about the uniqueness and excellence of Christ. And if that overtakes us, it sweeps us off our feet. It revives us. The love of God. All right, now we're going to get to the point. 
Uh, and we're going to keep this moving. Okay. Um, the last thing is the centrality of God's spoken word. And we see this over and over and over and over again in here. We're going to see it throughout the letter. Uh, verse 1, it says that God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets. God has spoken, it says in verse through through Christ to us today. Now, whenever we see this as Christians, God's speaking, we need to see the power in that because the book of Genesis talks about that the creation came into being, how? Because God speaks. See how, the, see, we're talking about life and new life. God's speaking is very important. God says, let there be light. And there was morning and there was evening, right? God speaks creation. God says, let us create humankind in our image. It's God speaking that brings life. If we're talking about reviving, we need to see, and the author of Hebrews wants us to see from the beginning, that God who spoke and spoke life into being is speaking still, can blow on the embers of all of our lives and faith still. We see even further in verse 3 where he goes into more detail of that or she goes into more detail of that by saying, you are sustained. See this in your text? You are sustained by his powerful word. I ask you a question. Have you ever in your life been sustained by the word of God? A few years ago, this church gave me and my family one of the great gifts we've ever been given. And that is that you all allowed us to go away for Christmas and New Year. Christmas is a fairly busy time of the year around here, but we had never in our lives experienced, my children had never experienced Christmas with their grandparents in Wales. And as they were getting older, we went to the personnel committee and then to the session and said, listen, I know that I'm not supposed to ask this, but we would really love not to be here uh, at Christmas one year. Would you all be open to that conversation? And, and not only did the personnel committee and then session say yes, but what was really powerful for us as a gift is they didn't say, okay, we tolerate that, you can go, but don't ask again. They said, we are sending you with joy. We want your family to go have that experience. It, it meant so much to us, and especially as we've had more and more time without seeing them, it meant that the spirit of that was such a gift to us. You know the difference in that? Like we send you with joy. It's not just like, okay, but it really bothers us. <laughs> we had an amazing time leading up to Christmas. Christmas was great. We had time before New Year. We were leaving right after New Year, and kind of the last big event for our family was on New Year's Eve in Beth's little coal mining village in Wales. They have this huge event that's covered in the national news, the BBC. Uh, and it's this like fireworks and there's people outdoors and there's food and there's music. And then they have this race called the Nos Gallon. And the Nos Gallon race is, it's a pretty big prize. And so there's actually two races. The first race are professional runners like who come to compete for the prize. It's a 5K race in this town. Uh, and everybody's out there. It's like, you know, tens of thousands of people are like, cheering. It's this great atmosphere. And then after the fireworks and after the professional runners run, the non-athletes are allowed to run the 5K, and that's the end. And so I was like, man, if we're gonna go there, and I've always heard about the Nos Gallon, I'm gonna sign up and run. Because I played basketball in high school, and that means I'm athletic somewhere in there. Uh, I can run a 5K. And so that was the plan. And I woke up on New Year's Eve with a fever. I was, I, I was shivering, I was cold, I, I had body aches, and the weather was just awful. It was like a couple of degrees above freezing. It was freezing rain and sleet. There were puddles everywhere. And I was like, are we going to do this? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, everybody's going to go out and do it. So do I, like a smart person would do, say I'm sick and I can't go do this? No, I'm an athlete. So I just popped some ibuprofen 
and was like, I can go make this happen. Like, this is totally fine. And, uh, and so I go out, and we are out there in the freezing rain, and, we're, and it's cold, and, and we're, we're wet, and the fireworks go, and then the real runners go, and then I've you know, been out there for like an hour, kind of standing in puddles waiting for this, and then we got out, and, and they let the rest of us go, and I ran the race, and we go back to Beth's you know, uh, parents' house, and we're kind of drying off and changed clothes, and I was upstairs, and the ibuprofen started being overpowered. And I got cold. And one of my kids came in and started talking to me about like the race and stuff. But and I, while we're talking, I started shaking and I put on a, a, a stocking cap and then I put on a ski jacket, but I was like shivering, shivering and couldn't stop. And so they went and got Beth, who got her mom, who uh, they had blankets on top of me, and I was like violently shaking in the bed. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. They called a nursing line, and they're like, so he had a fever and then stood in the rain. <laughs> and I was like, tell him I played basketball in high school. And, 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 and after, I don't know, half an hour, like, it, it, it started to slow down. But it was like kind of that moment where it's like, do we have to take him somewhere? Like, what, you know, what? But as I was laying there shaking in the bed, in my head, I just started citing the words of Psalm 23. That's what, I wasn't saying it out loud, but in my own head. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. Green pastures in which I can lay down. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when you finish, just set it again and set it again. And it was something for me to fix my mind on what was still true in that moment, that Emmanuel, God, was with me. You ever been sustained not by your thoughts or feelings or emotions, but by the word. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And that's where I want us to end today. To experience revival. To be revived in our faith. We need to point ourselves from the very beginning of Hebrews to his word. That's why we preach from the Bible. We don't preach from an op-ed piece that made us think. As good as those can be. That's why we have so many Bible studies as we start moving towards the fall programming where you can guide life because this is the word is what sustains us. And so this week, and this is a little weird because we're starting a series on Hebrews, but this week to be focused on God's word, I am inviting every single person in the covenant orbit to read the gospel of Mark this week. Why the gospel of Mark? Well, it's the earliest gospel and so it has a less interpretation than some of the others. Like John and Matthew, this isn't bad, but at times they're like, he said this because of this. Mark doesn't do that. It's just more like this is what, it, it's just the word, just kind of straight there of Jesus. But it's also the shortest of the Gospels. This is not an overwhelming task before you. You can read a couple of chapters a day, but don't just read it. But as we read it, hold out the parts of you that feel like they're languishing. Hold out the parts of you that are painful. Hold out the parts of you that are hurting. Hold out the parts of you that are questioning. Hold out the parts of you that are doubting. And allow the sustaining word of God to wash over those places. And may God speak to you. Because our hope in this is not to have a nice sermon series that gets us through the summer. The book of Hebrews was written for times like these. For people like us. May God's reviving 
breath blow into your being. And may we awaken to all that life can be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your blessing to be with us and upon us. May your reviving spirit blow through our lives this week. Through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.